Good morning from Medellin, Colombia. It is Wednesday, June 24th. This week on the podcast, artist and developer Sarah Friend joins me to discuss consensus, circles, and so much more. And as always, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain. Enjoy. All right, Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for taking the time to come on. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, so, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we kind of jump in and start learning um, more about what you do in depth, can you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into the uh, world of blockchain for our, for our audience? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a software developer. Um, I have been working in the blockchain industry since 2016. Um, pretty interested in blockchains in general um, since maybe 2013. And and I guess um, I started off kind of contributing uh, in an open source way on my own. Um, I was at a place in New York called Recurse Center. Uh, and that was kind of like my first projects in the space. Um, but shortly I got a job at Consensus. So I've done mostly Ethereum development, um, though I know a bit about other blockchains too. Um, I was with Consensus for two years. Um, and when I left, um, since then, I've been working in sort of a freelance capacity, mostly on a project called Circles UBI, mm-hmm. um, which is... I mean, maybe we'll get into it in more detail, but it's a, a, a kind of like an alternative community currency. Sometimes we call it um, a peer-to-peer universal basic income. Um, and I'm also working right now on a project called Culture Stake or Future Fairness, which is a quadratic voting app for curating festivals. Very cool. Very cool. So where are you from or where are you located? Um, I'm from Canada originally. Um mm-hmm. So I lived in Toronto for a long time, uh, and now I live in Berlin, Germany. Very nice. It's a pretty big jump. What made you want to move from Canada to Germany? <laughs> that's a um, <laughs> not. That's not a crypto answer, you know. <laughs> no, gotcha. Um, it's it's. There's a lot of reasons. Some, you know, more personal. Um, mm-hmm. Others a little more mechanical. Um, did you, was Canada, it mostly, a, was it mostly like personal stuff or did you like see some opportunity in Germany that you wanted to take advantage of? I mean, both. Like it's, it's a really big life choice. So it's not the kind of thing you do for like one reason. Mm-hmm. So there were a number of things that sort of all conspired to make it seem like the best choice. Um, there was definitely a professional element. Circles, um, a project I've been working on pretty regularly is based here. Um, so most of the team is here most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely a factor. Um, there are a number of things I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested in art. I'm interested in technology. I'm sort of interested in the um, political ramifications of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you imagine them all as sort of a Venn diagram, um, I'm, I, I, I like to be kind of in the middle of that space. Um, and there's a lot of things also in that overlap here in Berlin. It's really, it's really rich environment. 
um, if those are, you know, um, the domains you work in. Gotcha. Gotcha. It, so do you see like a lot of interest in crypto um, from the people or even the government while you're there in Germany? Or is it something that's just within like the developer community or like, what do you see? Cause you're kind of there on the ground. Yeah. Um, well, there, you know, these things kind of all work together and it's multifactorial. There are a lot of crypto companies specifically in Berlin. Um, it's still though, you know, it's increased a lot in price since the wall fell. Um, it's still a very affordable city. Um, so it's an appealing environment for startups. Um, and, and actually, Germany is in at least one way that I, I learned kind of recently. It's not part of why I moved here, but it's true and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really favorable tax situation for cryptocurrencies. Um, maybe you've come across this from other, other folks. Um, if an asset has been held for more than a year, um, it's exempt from capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have one, I have, I have been speculating privately if that might have something to do with the amount of crypto companies based here, because there are a lot. Um, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's true. I know in the U S it's, it's kind of all over the place and some mess and a lot of people aren't sure on, you know, what their tax liability is going to be when they're holding crypto, because depending on what agency, um, you know, you talk to one says it's a currency, one says it's an asset. <laughs> um, it gets a little bit messy. Definitely. But it can I can see what you're using it for. Right. I can see why that would be attractive to people to want to move your startup to Germany. Yeah, I think this might be part of it. We're also very close to like geographically to Switzerland. And I know there's also mm-hmm. a lot of crypto stuff based there um, as well. So Germany also, you know, mm-hmm. speaks German. Right. Um, and is just a short train ride away. Um, as I think, well. I think in Switzerland, crypto is uh, considered currency. You know, I don't know. I just know um, that it's it's uh, uh, the legal base for a ton of companies in the industry. So there must be something very favorable about it. Yeah, like I'll have to... my, my, my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I'll have to double check on that. I know there's a lot of companies in Switzerland too um, and they do a lot of meetups there and I think it's because crypto is considered a currency under uh, Swiss law I'm not really surprised they've always kind of been notorious for stuff like that um, regarding mm. money no that's that's really interesting and you mentioned that you spent some time working with consensus right yeah I was at consensus for two years and actually fun fact as we as we talk about um uh, uh, things we don't know about the fine details of paying your tax in various jurisdictions. Um, I worked on for a long time, their tax product. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was called balance. Um, and I'm not sure it's operational anymore, but it was, it was mostly accounting, um, for your crypto assets. What was balance? Was it just, so, okay. So it was just accounting for your crypto assets, like trying to help keep track of like buys and sells and stuff like that. Um, and reporting. So say you are a company that um, is interacting in crypto all the time, maybe like a crypto native bookkeeping platform, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so we created sort of the profit loss sheet that you might want for your company. Um, but as though your company was crypto native, we were a little too early. Actually, I don't think there were that many companies who were 
operating enough in cryptos that they could use balance primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left that team, um, we were in the process of of um, of, of digesting that realization um, and changing what we did to um, think of what we were creating more as like a sub ledger to be integrated into some other accounting software or solution that a company might already be using. Right. Um, but I left the team before that was completed. Yeah, there's there's an issue when it comes to accounting in the crypto space. Um, I, I personally have also had a lot of trouble trying to account for, for crypto transactions because on on paper it's hard to discern between what kind of transaction is you know just a transfer versus um, an actual payment to somebody or a buy and sell. Um, sometimes when you use software and it picks up on a, a movement between one exchange and another, um, it doesn't know what to classify that as unless you tell it. And if you do a lot of transactions, then it can kind of messy and it kind of mess up your your gains or losses or whatever you're filing under, at least in the U.S. So I know you there's know, a lot I, of... I, sorry. No, it's okay. I, I was just going to say, there's, I know there's a lot of work that definitely needs to be done there to kind of help label that stuff. It's almost like you need to start labeling your addresses and like what they're for. Um, because if you have an account for, for a, one business and then a personal account, and then you have a family account, and then you have one that you pay people out of or do payroll through or um, one that you do for trading, it all gets really, really messy when you're moving crypto because it's, it's so fast. Like it's a lot easier to move crypto around than it is to move a stock around or move um, dollars around, so. Oh, definitely. I completely relate to the work of <laughs> compiling all of this and going through it. Um, it's so much easier now than it was in 2017, but mm-hmm. it still has a long way to go um, to, to reach the sort of ease of, oh yes, I know how to, how to do this accounting and report on this the way I should um, that we have for other types of um, financial instruments. Yeah, it's, and you know, it's even, even dealing with um, like different, the, the, the constraints of different blockchains natively, right? right. Like um, on an Ethereum like chain, you know, it's a very common practice to reuse the same address for a number of things. And this can make it a lot easier to get your transaction history. Um, it's a, they're at least all tied to in or out of one or several addresses, but other chains um, like Bitcoin-like blockchains um, it's a best practice to never reuse the same address and wallets just switch it um, without necessarily even making it too transparent to the user that that's happening. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you still have the wallet, you can load, it's, it's really obvious, but you know, not everyone does. Um, scraping that kind of information off the blockchain itself is really difficult. Um, yeah, it so. it's, it's tricky because there's like, you want to have good practice, you know, for security and privacy reasons, but at the same time, you have to find a way to label things correctly for um, reporting requirements for your, for your government, at least in the U S it'd be for the IRS. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you want to reuse, don't want to reuse addresses. You want to use different ones as often as possible and obscure. But I mean, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say they are warring impulses. Like the, <laughs> the, the, 
the non friendly crypto life and the like public reporting, um, tax paying life. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're difficult, um, practices to reconcile. Yeah. The software is definitely getting a lot better, but there's definitely some issues with labeling those addresses and knowing like what's being done for what, especially if you're, you know, moving crypto around in small amounts or in volume. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting there slowly. You mentioned that you're doing a lot of work for circles and future fairness. Can you talk a little bit about what those two things are and like kind of what work you're doing for them? Um, I, well, I mean, I do the same work on both projects. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a software developer. And at, at this point, um, most like I, I tend to work pretty close to the blockchain in terms of the stack. So um, the smart contracts and um, we use sort of relay our services for both projects. Um, that's the, the main bulk of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually like a fun, fun fact maybe is back when I worked at consensus on balance um, the the first thing I wrote was this um, in, indexer um, to sort of scrape all the transactions that had ever happened on the Ethereum blockchain, um, and 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 parse out all of the token movements, mm-hmm. um, and then put them in sort of like a normal database so that we could query them by address, um, because the sort of there was just no APIs to do that whatsoever. Um, like Etherscan didn't support it yet. Tokens themselves were very new. Um, and and now uh, there's like nice infrastructure for taking care of these problems of like querying the movements of, of tokens or the internal contents of smart contracts. Um, so, I mean, I also run those tools mm-hmm. um, and, and appreciate how um, much easier they are to use than sort of the rule your own version that everyone was doing in 2017. Gotcha. Um, and that's pretty, that's pretty like a technical thing perhaps uh, <laughs> about what I do, but mm-hmm. um, the projects have sort of content as well. Um, Circles is an alternative currency sort of, um, it calls itself a universal basic income, but I guess sometimes I think that that is uh, a term that distracts from what we're doing or confuses what we're doing um, as much as it explains it because universal basic income is attached to the sort of narrative about states redistributing wealth. Um, but uh, in circles where we're our own currency, there's no sort of direct redistribution of wealth going on. Instead, it is an identity layer that is very lean, um, but it's a web of trust. Um, and participants in the system all get their own tokens um, that are minted to them um, as a function of time. So you just have this sort of increasing balance. Um, and this increasing balance that you have all the time, it's inflationary, um, is kind of universal basic income like in that, you know, you are getting uh, this community currency all the time. Um, but, you know, it's not, it's not what people picture. Like it's not really mm-hmm. um, the state redistribution version. Um, but that is that is um, loosely what Circles is doing. Circles uh, is still in fan. beta, correct? Yeah, we're, we are in beta. Um, 
people can sign up to the beta. It's, it's now open. Um, the onboarding process is slow. We're working on streamlining it right now, seeing if we can make it a little more user-friendly. Um, so right now, if you make an account, which you can just do, um, in order to really unlock um, what's possible in the app, uh, you need to have three um, trust connections from people who are already in the app, sort of like three invites um, sent by our current users. Um, so, you know, if you want one, <laughs> send me your address. Yeah, um, but don't that. everyone who's listening to this send me their <laughs> address. <laughs> no, it, so it sounds pretty cool. Um, when do you think that they maybe will get out of beta? Um, yeah, they, we, our target right now is September mm-hmm. um, of this year. So if all goes according to plan, not that long. We're sort of doing hard, uh, hardening of what we've built, bug fixes, and sort of incorporating the UX feedback that we got during this test period. Um, we're running on a testnet right now. Um, so sort of the, the genesis block of the circles system um, will be the, the part of that launch out of, out of beta into the real thing. Sweet. That sounds pretty cool. Um, how do, is future fairness part of that or is that something separate from circles completely different? No, it's, um, another, another project separate. Mm-hmm. Um, the freelance life, you know, <laughs> are we yeah. ever only doing one thing? Yeah. Um, I was talking about this just, just this morning and you know, it has, it's got so many benefits, uh, in terms of, you know, the freedom of lifestyle and, that you might have, but there's also so much precarity and then like constantly code switching into the new um, project. Anyway, yep. um, Future Fairness is um, a project with a gallery in um, London, UK called Furtherfield. Um, and Furtherfield is a really cool space. They've been around sort of the digital arts community since the 90s, like the birth of the internet. Uh, they were also, you know, in terms of the art institutions, one of the, the first um, to start looking at blockchains, um, really in general at all. Um, and they've continued to engage in a, a really um, thoughtful way, I think. Um, Future Fairness is um, a, a project to let people in a um, particular place um, vote using quadratic voting um, on the what they liked about sort of festivals, um, what types of artworks they would like to see commissioned in their location. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like a, a local first um, voting on, on cultural uh, content. Um, Furtherfield is really um, interested in, in, in how art institutions might democratize, um, but also to do so in a way that like preserves the, the legacy of their expertise, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So is that similar to like provenance in that way, where it's preserving you know, that artist's work and legacy? Maybe, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, okay, I so, so, so further field or like some, imagine an, uh, a bunch of artists who've invested their lives in being artists. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they kind of have expertise about what um, will work well 
in in an artwork you know if, if we were commissioning a future artwork the people who've all done this 20 times before know a lot about it um and about what will work and what will um be impactful um and how to execute it well etc um but also we sort of have this problem where people who are not from the art world want to see things that they can relate to um that make sense in their own communities um, and we want to find ways to um, bridge the, those sort of like different interest groups and different types of expertise. Um, so a uh, fun fact about me, I actually studied painting. I have a painting degree and I'm a self-taught software developer. Oh, um, nice. I know it's so weird. <laughs> Not too weird. Um, I know, I know there's a lot of self-taught <laughs> software developers out there, but <laughs> painting is kind of a random place to have come from. Yeah, a little um, bit, but I mean, it's, it's still in a, the world we live in today. I mean, anyone can pretty much learn to code if they really want to. There's so many resources out there outside of the traditional educational system. So I, I've seen people come from science backgrounds, art backgrounds, um, ph philosophical backgrounds, uh, all kinds of different areas and have jumped into coding and have been become pretty good coders, developers and whatnot. So not too surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the it's kind of one of the beautiful things about um, the the software industry is that you you kind of can more than many industries just hop into it without a credential. True. Um, and this isn't perfect, but I mean you cannot practice law without passing the bar, for example. But you you can you can write software. There are still like sort of gates and obstacles, but it's more open than many. Yeah, uh, well, it's kind of an art of it of its own in a way, isn't it? Because, you know, you're building and creating things with code. Oh, definitely, definitely. I completely agree. Um, I think that like art, studio art practice and um, software development have maybe more in common as disciplines than like literary criticism and, and, and software development. Um, uh, both artists and engineers like make stuff and 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 there's sort of like a, a, a physical craftsmanship and not physical in the case of software directly but um i i do think they're related i, I talk to people about it a lot it's it's cool that it's come up for you too oh yeah definitely i see it all the time and especially when you're um, around so many people that are you know freelancers or digital nomads and we were talking about it just a little bit ago um, but it's really easy to be a freelancer or um, a digital nomad or whatever you want to call yourself because you can travel, live with wherever you kind of want, work wherever you want when you have that kind of a skill set. Um, because you know, being a developer of any kind, really knowing how to code is very useful practically everywhere around the world. <laughs> um, and it's something you can do from your computer, your laptop mostly. So. Um, I definitely see a lot of people from different backgrounds that are uh, developers in that space. A lot of interesting stories. Is in painting school, this super weird place that I came from. Um, it's maybe like, there's like a joke. I think it was actually a, literally a website where they pulled people in countries about what the best painting was and what the best painting is. Um, if you, if you just like ask everyone, um, is a very bland generic like landscape painting for most countries i should dig up this website again um, because mm -hmm. it was quite funny um and so you sort of 
if you don't take into account the expertise of people who've spent um, forever sort of building art galleries and art careers, um, and you purely let anyone who lives in a city vote on the art that they like, um, you kind of can die by, um, um, what's the word in, in design? Um, design by democracy. Like if you put everything that everyone wants in the app, it's not going to be a good app. If you build the art that pleases everyone um, most equally, it's going to be quite bland and maybe not interesting art. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, how do we find ways to incorporate feedback that doesn't fall into this pit hole of like making the art worse? So we want to please and speak to a population's like um, goals for what kind of cultural things they might see and experience, but in ways that are also informed by art legacies. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that, that does make sense. It's like incorporating different kinds of stakeholders. <laughs> right, right. It's it's definitely a, a space that's you know been around a lot. I do have a hard time following it sometimes, but there, there's so much cool work being done in that space. And um, even more broadly speaking, it's really cool to see you know in a, in the space that's so techy and geeky as blockchain. <laughs> Um, having artists, you know, kind of part of that and being able to, you know, make it more interesting and kind of drive people towards it in some very creative and interesting ways, whether it be like we were talking about before we started recording that the quote unquote stereotypical crypto artist that developed something with like an NFT or similar to maybe what you do and you have a different artistic view on blockchain and being able to you know, develop something that's usable um, or create something with code um, in an artistic way, I guess. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things that are definitely being done in the space um, in the realm of art. Uh, I agree, definitely. I think that um, artists are present in a lot of different sort of emerging technical fields. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that art art practices can bring a lot actually to those fields um, in, a, in a practical way as well. Um, artists are really good at, at thinking critically about what technology is doing, sort of showing technology itself, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like mm -hmm. They make it very visual for people to, to kind of understand. And it's a really good way to bring awareness to the space too. Uh, I think a lot of credit has to go out to some of these quote unquote crypto artists. Um, a lot of them are my friends too. They bring a lot of interest into blockchain and crypto and what it is and what it stands for in some ways and the symbolism behind some of it. Um, I think that's really helpful for people that are trying to get educated, trying to understand it. You, it's an interesting, it's interesting because you don't see that in as largely in other technologies as you do in blockchain at least right now it's not like there's a huge massive robotic arts community that's super popular right now or um, vr art community that's super popular right now it's that all the all the cool kids are jumping into blockchain art simply because of you know being able to you know sell it and do all these cool things and there's such a big market for it but it brings mm -hmm. a lot of awareness, which is really good. And it's really cool to see that 
Um, and I think it helps educate people on like why this stuff exists and even some of the smaller details that we gloss over in the technical stuff. Um, I've seen some crypto artists that are my friends really kind of dive into some of that stuff too and make it more explainable. Um, so I, th I think it's really healthy in a lot of ways. Definitely. I think that, um, well, specifically also the type of crypto art that you're talking about um, and, and, and mm -hmm. um, I guess what people think about generally when they, when they hear about art and blockchain overlaps um, cause I think I'm sort of like a weirdo in that, in that world. Right. Uh, 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 it is really approachable. It, it makes sense to, uh, um, people who otherwise maybe wouldn't be interested in blockchain. Um, the sort of solvable problem of how to better sell things online, um, artworks is, uh, uh, one that's kind of like easy to bite off and maybe explain to someone who just got into the, into the just heard about blockchains. Mm -hmm. um, I, but I do think and would sort of um, uh, uh, bite back a little bit that there are communities of artists doing really interesting work with other types of technology too. I don't think it's just blockchain. There's a ton of people, I mean, I've made work with um, machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, and there actually, I think there are tons of people also doing um, robotics projects and um, VR projects. I, I think that... Um, I think that actually sort of uh, uh, that there's this kind of weird, bigger problem almost. Mm -hmm. What do we mean when we say art, you know, like someone in a makerspace sort of creating um, like movable sculptures with LEDs and servo motors, um, you know, to, to have at their um, you know, some local music festival is totally um, art but it's not crypto art. It's like a different thing, you know? And so like they're both making art, but they're making, so, so this word of art is kind of failing us because it's not describing both types of practices very well. Um, but I think it's all out there. And if we take like a, a broad view, um, uh, we, we can start, there's, there's actually a lot of like really interesting sub communities that, that can be, can be discovered. Um, yeah. definitely a lot of them have trouble making money though. <laughs> so that problem is yeah. uh, perennially that, around. That maybe adds to it a little bit. I mean, I know there's a lot of different artists out there in different, different, uh, different tech spaces for sure. Um, a lot of different subgroups. Um, so not discrediting any of them. I know they're all out there, but I mean, crypto art, or at least the term crypto art is just really hot right now. So you see so many people under that term trying to do something in that space. It's popping up in my Twitter feed all the time. Um, you know, if it wasn't that popular, we wouldn't be critiquing it a bit right now. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting space. Um, art is definitely very broad itself. Um, uh, you can, <laughs> you can make art in all kinds of different ways. So, I mean, we could, we could probably talk about that forever, but I know you mentioned that you consider yourself an artist as well, um, not necessarily a crypto artist, quote unquote, but an artist within that space. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I would be happy to. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm an artist too, but I guess the reason I feel like the term crypto artist isn't the best description of what I do is that um, most people who um, are crypto artists uh, are sort of interested in finding ways to um, 
sell their artworks that are new um, or to um, establish marketplaces for artworks in places that there sort of weren't before. Um, and, and sometimes their artwork um, is, well, often they're sort of like 2D images, um, but they could be anything. Um, and they sort of end up tokenized um, in some way and traded as, as assets with this sort of like certificate um, of ownership to accompany them. Um, and, and yeah, there's a bunch of platforms that have done this and there's kind of subtle differences between them all and the, the problems they're trying to solve. I used to follow this space really closely, but I kind of don't anymore. So mm -hmm. um, bear with me if what I'm saying is no longer state of the art. <laughs> no um, so, so yeah, that's, um, that's one type of sort of practice or, or sub, sub, sub type of artist, I guess. Um, but I, I am not really interested in um, putting my work in those contexts. Um, I, I don't, the art that I've made so far, I mean, maybe I will in the future, who knows, but uh, the art that I've made so far that involves blockchains is um, actually mostly just one project. Um, it's called ClickMine. It's a free-to-play um, interactive online um, game, sort of like a game. Um, I'm not sure it's it's fun. It's not really intended to be fun. It's maybe coming more from a bit of a satirical lens. Um, but I guess it's um, you know it's it's a it's a website, um, not necessarily something that is bought or has provenance. You know, um, it gets exhibited. Um, from time to time, it's going to be um, in an exhibition in Shanghai um, in five five days. Um, uh, so sometimes it sort of appears in art galleries, but it is online all the time. Um, but it's not really like there is a token that is part of ClickMine. Um, so as you sort of click in this like procedurally generated like mine shaft, um, you 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 garmented this token or you're sort of given this token as though you were mining it um, yourself with uh, with the way you're 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 interacting with the interface. Um, but um, but those tokens are not really meant to be assets. Um, and and actually kind of the opposite. They're they're intended to be um, as valueless as possible. <laughs> um, so um, they're minted in just the most obscenely large quantities. It's a standard ERC-20 token, um, but you'll end up with like, I forget what the max token is. When I, when I did, when I talked about ClickMine a lot more uh, often, I could, I could still say the number <laughs> of the amount of tokens that the most amount of tokens you could get with one sort of click or mine uh, action. Um, but I no longer remember it. It was a very large number. Um, yeah, this project was in 2017. Um, so I guess yeah, it's 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 it doesn't feel like um, it feels like a different subgenre of art of art really. Um, and I make other sort of artworks maybe with a bit of a similar what is modality. Click, what does ClickMine what does ClickMine do though? Is it does it have like a function to it? Uh, well, it's it's a, a, a game. It's it's like a game. Mm -hmm. um, it is a game, I guess. Um, so you sort of play it or play with it. But it's not, but I'm, other than that, you know, what is the function of an artwork? <laughs> true, um, true. <laughs> uh, it, you know, wow. it's kind of like, it's, it's definitely not utilitarian. Gotcha. All right. Are you working on anything else? Like, 
um, in particular that you want to have showcased just like QuickMine? Um, I'm not, I mean, are you asking about art related projects that involve blockchains? Yeah, yeah I'm just kind of mm, curious uh, like if you have any other art related projects that you're kind of working on um, or fine tuning or, or that you have done. Yeah, I've done a number of other um, artworks um, that are not really blockchain related. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, maybe one that is like a little bit peripheral to the blockchain space, at least because it still uses peer to peer technology um, is one, a more recent one called Remembering Network, which is um, sort of like a peer to peer memorial or archive of um, information and images, information about and images of um, extinct, endangered or recently threatened uh, or, or threatened animals. Sort of like a, a, what if we had a memorial, but a crowdsourced one. Um, and there's sort of an invitation to participate in the memorial by adding entries to it um, for new animals, um, but also to participate in it by seeding that data, um, kind of like an, an arc or sort of vault of information um, that we all sort of can host together. Um, so that uses, um, sort of IPFS right now as its peer-to-peer -peer layer, um, but I'm kind of interested in mirroring it to other peer-to-peer -peer platforms. So um, I think it would be a really good fit as a DAT archive, actually. I also would sort of like to release some subsets of the data, at least, um, as BitTorrent um, files as well. So, so, so that's kind of an artwork, kind of a, a collaborative grieving exercise um, and also like a software project that is peer-to-peer -peer, if not necessarily blockchain. Um, yeah, so that's, that's cool. maybe something that I think your listeners might. <laughs> uh, I have, there's a lot of in. artists in my audience. I'm sure they'll find the diversity of this very interesting too. Um, do you have like a website or portfolio or do you share this stuff on social media? Or like where can people like kind of see some of this stuff to get an idea yeah for sure i'm like not great at being active on social media but i try i try <laughs> uh, I, so I have um i have twitter and instagram um and they're both under the the name is this an art which uh actually like you know parallels are like oh there are many different arts right like so mm -hmm. which art um it's an old joke uh, uh and my website um which has like sort of more detailed information about click mine and remembering network and all this stuff is, uh, is this a dot com? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be yeah. happy to share those links for you. If you, if you'd like um, in the description for the episode and then people can kind of check it out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and while we're at it, I'll plug circles too, <laughs> yeah, um, which is at jo join circles.net. Um, so updates there coming about our launch. Culture Stake, uh, Future Fairness doesn't have a website yet, um, but it will, of course, soon. Does Circles have like a, a community where they put out information or do they have like a Discord or do they have like a Telegram? Um, we are in the process of migrating um, to a better chat solution. We've had Rocket Chat for forever. Um, we recently did a community poll about what are, what are possible users like in terms of chat platforms? And the answer we basically got was anything but rocket chat. <laughs> um, so we're migrating away from it, but we haven't done that yet. 
Um, in the meantime, we do have a Telegram channel, um, but I do not remember the link for it. Um, all of those, all of those changes, though, will go to the the website um, when they happen, though. So. Okay. Cool. Um, when we're when we finished our migration, <laughs> we'll make it visible. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Speaking of love which, to... which, which chat platform is your favorite of oh, Telegram, uh, Discord, and Riot? It it honestly depends on what it is. I'm I mean I use all of them, but I think it would have to be Discord simply because it seems very easy for me to navigate. And there's a lot of communities that have a Discord channel and I can very easily get a hold of someone through Discord. And the notifications mm -hmm. are pretty good and consistent. Um, I have a lot of issues with Telegram and it's really hard to invite people to Telegram because I operate on my computer a lot and people have Telegram on their phone. So they'll get, if I send them an, a link to join a community or I get a link, um, I can't really do it from my computer. At least I have a hard time. I don't know, maybe I'm just not smart enough to figure out telegram <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. telegram is really cool once you're in it but there's um they need to work on the like, whole invite phase i have some issues with that uh discord works really well i love discord slack is great like for like inter community inter company type work so maybe not so great for community stuff but slack is pretty cool too uh, but in terms of community mm -hmm. stuff, I love using Discord. Um, I'm not quite sure what else is out there for maybe Reddit. <laughs> I think yeah. Discord, Discord might be the best, honestly, in, in my opinion, but everyone has their preference. Consider your vote recorded. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a number of them and it's, you know, they all have sort of different trade-offs, chat platforms. Um, mm -hmm. who knew one of the great unsolved problems of technology? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, they're getting very, very popular, um, for all kinds of things. So there's no right or wrong way to do it, but I think we all have our preference. I definitely prefer discord, just super easy for everything. But yeah. Anyways, I, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap it up. I think we went for quite a while. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, Sarah, thank you for, you know, taking the time to share everything from your experience and what you're doing with these different projects and with circles and your background. Um, I think it'll be very interesting for a lot of people and they'll take a lot out of it and hope to have you again on in the, in the near future. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I hope uh, the rambling about art stuff is uh, comes out intelligible, you know, on a second listen. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. So have a good uh, afternoon. Uh, I think it is where you are. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's now noon my time. Um, what time is it in Germany? You guys are like seven hours ahead or something, right? Yeah. It's coming up seven o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Right on the dot. I have at least one friend in Germany. So I'm pretty sure you guys are about seven hours ahead. So seven o'clock. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, yeah, have a great evening. Really appreciate it. Um, talk to you again soon.